Jerry, are you excited? This is the week. This is the week that the book comes out after all this work, ah, all the pain and suffering. And, you know, we really only went through all of this just so we could write a book. Yeah. There, well, I actually wasn't addicted to alcohol at all. I just, just drank a bunch. Forced yourself. Oh, it was so hard to drink that much. And, yeah force myself to be an asshole because I'm I've never been that way in, in real life. Never, never, never. But the book comes out this week. Wednesday, uh, right? Wednesday, uh September 23rd. Wednesday, September 23rd, available on Amazon, hardcover, paperback, and Kindle ebook. It's called Sober Evolution. Evolve into sobriety and recover your alcoholic marriage. And we're super excited. We hope our listeners all grab up a copy and read about it. Um, also, at our our web page, Untoxicated Podcast webpage, it's un-toxicated.com, un-toxicated.com. Or, you know, we've been around long enough, you can just Google Untoxicated Podcast and you'll find us. Um, there'll be a way to, if you donate to our nonprofit, you'll actually get a signed hardcover, Ooh. signed by me, signed by you, or signed by both. It's up to the listener. It's up to you. But by, by making a donation through our website, you can get that signed hardcover, uh, a little personalized, you know. Mm -hmm. We're figuring out how to ship books out, so that's yeah. a new learning thing for us. Feisty people there on YouTube to tell you how to do that. Yeah, right? I've been watching YouTube videos. That's how you learn everything these days. Speaking of feisty people, there she is. I can see her. She's right there. <laughs> Jane has joined us. Ladies and gentlemen of the Untoxicated Podcast listening audience, we uh, have an exciting news. We, we teased this a couple of weeks ago that we were going to think about start trying to have guests again. And we've got just one of my favorite human beings. Uh, her name is Jane. She, she, she self-bills herself as salty, and I can confirm that. She tells it like it is. Welcome, Jane. Thanks for joining us. Thank you. Yeah, I guess I'll own that one. <laughs> yeah. Salty's not all bad. No. Mm, flavor. Yeah. Flavor. flavor. Yeah. It, salty. It brings everything else flavorful out. You know, when you add salt to a dish, it just brings up all the other flavors. So you're just adding, you know, just an addition to everybody's life. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. You are an addition to our lives, that's for sure. Jane, thanks for being with us. We, we want to hear about what's going on with you and what's happened in your life. And, you know, I feel lame because I, I criticize other people in the recovery community. That's never been something I'm shy about. You know, I'm kind of an arrogant jerk in that regard. But I criticize others because they're like, oh, hey, let, you know, tell us your story. And then it's always the same story. It's, you know, I started drinking a little, then I drank too much, then I couldn't stop drinking, then I had a DUI, or I wrecked my car, or I lost my marriage, and here I am now. And so, but I, I don't want to do that, but, but your story is the other side of the street, and it's the one that never gets told. And so, we do want to kind of start with asking you to tell us, you know, your story. Um, but I, you know, I want to be respectful and I want to know, I don't want to go over boundaries. So let's talk a little bit about that right off the top. Um, what are you comfortable sharing? What are you not comfortable sharing here today, Jane? Well, I think uh, you run into this a lot when you're living with an alcoholic is you're not really sure 
what what part of the story is yours you know because all the attention is put on the problem and that's the you know in everyone's view your view at the time is the alcoholic and so i just i don't i don't want to dump on my my husband i don't want to say anything just like that would disrespect him but i also when when i was going i am going through this and i was going through the dark parts like no one was telling my story and and it is my story and so i i just want to make sure that there's a line between what is his and what is mine that's great that i also know that that you talked with your husband like he knows that you're doing this yes um, which i mean i think that just adds to the amount of respect that you're showing him. This isn't behind his back. He knows you're having this conversation and, he, and he's supportive of it. And I think that's, that's really, really great. Huge. That's, that's a great place to start. I agree. Yeah. So, so let's, let's start with your relationship with alcohol. Tell us about, you know, and you can start with family history. You can start with, mm. with, did you experiment in high school or college? Like, were you a party girl and, and what has inspired to where we are now? I know you like to dance, that much I know for sure. <laughs> so I grew up in a home where my parents maybe shared a beer on holiday. Okay. Um, my mom grew up in an alcoholic home. So I think that was kind of a big deal to not repeat that in our home. And it was a very safe place to be creative and share your feelings very nurturing environment. Um, I started experimenting in high school mainly because my friends were doing it. Mm -hmm. um, and for a long time, my friends did it and I didn't. And then, I don't know, eventually just started here and there, maybe like once a month on a weekend. And then we could get into the dance clubs and I loved the dance club. <laughs> loved. That was like the best time ever. And it was all about my girlfriends and just letting loose. And I didn't even like drink a lot then. It was just a, like enough. So I wasn't embarrassed that I was dancing for four hours. Um, and that was, that was amazing. And then uh, I, I didn't go to college right away. I came back and started working in a retail environment um, and then a corporate retail environment. And drinking became the way to deal with all the crap that was thrown at you every day. So this was like a call center. So literally you're paid to listen to people tell you everything they hate about you for eight hours. And that's what everybody did at the end of the day is we went to the bar and we, we made great friends, but that was like the norm. And so when I met my husband and got married, that that's the environment we both came out of. And so it was just the normal way to deal with the crap we had to do to pay the bills. Sure. Sure. That makes perfect sense. You know, I too, I had a similar situation um, experience, I should say, with dancing. I, uh, <laughs> not sure where you're going. <laughs> well, you mentioned that you, you would just drink a little, have one or two to, you know, to, to get over the hump of the embarrassment of drink, of dancing for four hours. 
My mind's similar, but a little different. I drank like gallons and <laughs> gallons of booze so that I could dance for like 20 or 30 minutes before I fell down, passed out. Um, so yes, I, I think I'm a pre I'm pretty typical for my demographic too. Yeah. Right, man. Uh, oh boy, I needed, I needed. Enough, a so you thought you could dance. <laughs> it was, it was not an accident. Yeah, I did the. What do we do the, the white overbite? Man, the, white man overbite. Yeah, bite the white man overbite. Yeah. And now yeah. you were a little hip. You're a hip shaker. You, oh. you got a little hip shaking going on. That's the biggest dancing compliment <laughs> I've ever gotten. But hey, I'm a, you got swing dance. Shaker. We do kind of that sort of stuff. You're good. No. But yeah, you drank a lot to get out on the dance floor when we go. But I love that even as alcohol was becoming a part of your life, it was an accent for you. It wasn't the main event. And I think mm -hmm. for a lot of us on my side of the street, it's, it's definitely the main event. Um, one of the really exciting things about having you on today, Jane, is, you know, our listeners have heard lots and lots of talk from Sherry and I about our story. And so many people, I mean, I can't even tell you the number of people that we find that resonate with it. Just an email here or there, or, you know, they'll otherwise get in touch with us. And it's a lot of people that say, yeah, your story is my story. And we want to have somebody else tell that story because I still think there are people out there that are just, just finding us or that are struggling on their own that don't realize this is as common as you know, the sun rising in the east. This is not a hidden secret. There are, it's a hidden obvious truth. There are millions and millions of people going through this same thing. And so for you to come on and, and have the courage to tell your story and with so many overlaps to ours, I think is, is really, it, it's exciting. Tell us a little bit about what you've learned um, through your process of recovery. Cause I know you've done a lot of reading, a lot of research you're in it, you're, you're in it in an in-depth way. Um, what's your feeling about how common your experience and Sherry's experience is compared to the rest of the world? Mm, um, well, the more, I, the more I step out, the more other people are willing to, and, and I think you've found that as well, is, is the more I'm willing to make myself the example of I'm struggling, I'm not winning today. Um, everyone kind of says the same thing in a similar way. Not everybody's stories are the same, but there's a lot of dark secrets that we keep to protect people, including ourselves. So I really don't think that we're like these anomalies out here. Um, and again, when I was in, in the darkest parts of this, I could not find something that I truly related to. Everything is so clinical and, mm -hmm. the, and it feels like you're only allowed to tell your story as a survivor, mm -hmm. right? Like you have to like get this badge that, that tells the world that it's okay now I can tell you my story because I'm okay. And like, you can't tell the story when you're not okay. And I, I'm kind of exploring in my mind, like, why is that? Like, why is it not okay for us to be angry and hurt and like tell that part of it? Like, it's scary to people, you know? So it's like, mm, honey, no, 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 not yet. And, and well, so then there's this mass group of us who are like, okay, then, then what? Yeah. Like, it, I'm alone a, then. 
it's a chicken or the egg thing, right? You can't tell, tell your story, story until you've recovered, but you can't recover um, without telling your story. So, or, and hearing the stories of others. So it's really kind of a ridiculous messed up situation we've gotten ourselves in societally and culturally. It's, you know, and it's in honestly when on this particular part of the topic, it's on both sides of the street. I can't tell you how much feedback I get from people that say, Oh, you're three and a half years sober and this is what you're writing about. Shut the fuck up and get to a meeting. You don't, you haven't earned the right to talk like this yet. You, mm -hmm. you know, you sit in the corner and listen until you got 10 years and then you can, you know, maybe you can repeat the AA doctrine, but if it's anything outside of those lines, shut up. So mm -hmm. I think the silence is literally killing people. And I know that I have a flair for the dramatic, um, but in this case, it, it's really it killing people. Like I'm not, I'm not yelling fire in a theater and it's, it's absolutely on both sides of the street. Well, I think yeah. that, I think though, when you have like that, those feelings of anger and confusion and, and I would almost say like sort of a rage sort of feeling like that is very scary to others. They don't like to hear that. People don't know how to deal with anger right. and, um, and I think that anger is a really good feeling to have. It's, it's a very natural and good feeling to have. And so that's why it's, you know, you stay over here and you wait until you're all better and your situation is better and then you can share with others. And then they kind of do gloss over the feelings of rage and the hatred that you can have and the anger a lot of times. Yeah, and it's almost, especially, like, I, I did go to the, I went to Al-Anon, and I got a lot out of Al-Anon, mm -hmm. but there was this feeling, like, if, if you had those feelings, and you were upset, and resentful, and whatever, you weren't, you weren't healed yet, you, mm -hmm. obviously, you have more work to do, like, you just don't get it yet, and that, that, in itself that feeling of like oh honey you just don't get it yet is drove me away a lot and i kept going back like what am i not getting what am i not understanding you know like i've done this steps i've done all this work i've done this research whatever but i'm still pissed off yeah. you know and i don't feel like that's unwarranted not at all I mean, the emotions are real and you're, you're living them and you're willing to talk about it. And that makes you, you know, sadly, I, I know you well enough to know you are a very unique individual, Jane. I wish you weren't. I, I, I wish others would talk like this. I wish we had a world full of salty Janes. Let's, um, let's, get, let's get back to your story a little bit. Uh, so you've, you've got this entry level early on job that's, that's you're you're doing a little self-medicating yourself not mm -hmm. uncommon i think mm -hmm. um talk us through to where we get to kind of a turning point to where your attitude about alcohol changes and maybe you can share what your attitude toward alcohol is right now sure um well there's this thing that happens when you get pregnant is you kind of have to just give it up Right. Like it's the obvious next best step. Like, okay, I'm pregnant. Time to stop drinking. Um, and so that's, that's literally when I stopped is my first kid. Um, the problem, and, and I know that a lot of people, women are in the same situation as me, is like, 
I make that obvious step for our child, but your husband just keeps drinking, right? So there's, there, there's, there's, I'm absolutely sober and now you're still drinking. And it becomes really obvious the effects of even a little bit of alcohol when you're the sober one in a room of two people. Yeah. Um, all the time. Or like we used to just go to the bar and hang out with friends. Well, now I'm the sober one in the bar. Mm-hmm. Right. And that, that really shifts your, your view because you're not, you haven't numbed the feeling to be like part of the, part of the room. So you're just hyper aware, which hormones on top of that, you're hyper aware. This part's, this part's really important. Um, let me ask, did, did you and your husband have any conversations when you got pregnant about him potentially not like taking a nine month sobriety period with you? No, because neither of us thought it was a problem at that point. Yeah. So did you, so was your feeling when you would go to the bar and you're the only one sober, are you resentful or jealous at all? Or are you more uh, noticing, God, this makes all of you people unattractive and no fun to be around? Like, or is it a yeah, blind the latter? Plus also when you're, you're pregnant, you're just tired and annoyed most of the time. So it's, it's not fun to like have to stand around in a bar. Um, it just puts you in a completely different world. I think it's really important because, you know, so you, you weren't, there wasn't some broken promise at this point where he said he would, he would be sober with you. I actually did that like years before we got pregnant. I don't even know if I said it out loud, but I was like, Oh, when Sherry can't drink, I won't drink either. Yeah, I never but by the time she got pregnant, I was so far right. kind of along on my journey that that was not in consideration well, at that point. I was pregnant and we had at one point discussed maybe not having kids. I know that you have a different memory, but you were using it as celebratory. Oh yeah. yeah. I celebrated so, a lot when you and were pregnant. Also that, and also <laughs> that pregnancy so was could, great. Also, so I could just drive. I, you know, we didn't have. Yeah, we didn't have to talk about who the designated driver was. But, but the reason I think it's important is, so you didn't, you didn't have, there wasn't a broken promise. It wasn't so much jealousy. It was just, God, you people are annoying. Mm-hmm. And because that's what happened to me too. When I got sober, you know, I tried, I tried to just live my normal life without kind of changing routines. And I would, I played soccer with these guys and I go to the bar afterwards and, and after about a half an hour, when they started, they'd go back and start repeating the same stories and they were getting louder. And yeah. when they would talk, they would spit a little toward you. I'd be like, oh my God, I, I suddenly have to go home. This is, this is awful. And it's just gross. to have a realization that that's the way I was for all those years is, it's stunning to me. <sighs> but so, okay, so you're, so you're sober through pregnancy and, and it's a wake up call for you in a way. Yeah. Uh. Just, I don't know if it's a wake-up call. It's just like, oh, I don't want to do that anymore. Like, it wasn't this, like, enlightening thing. It just kind of was a turnoff at that point in my life. Like, okay, okay, time to grow up. Yeah. And it's not like I, I had options. Like, you know, I have to be sober. I cannot participate. So it, it, it makes the decision very easy. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So, so where do we go from there? When, so you have your first child, 
um, did those feelings stick with you or was there a desire to go back to life, life as well, it Well, then you got to breastfeed for, for a year. So right. like you spend two years sober, there's not a, there wasn't a draw for me. And yeah. then, then now you need breastfeed. Now you have a toddler. Guess who wakes up at 5 a.m.? Toddlers, right. right? So there's no room for you to, to have that lifestyle anymore. Um, I mean, you can try, but it's freaking painful because you just, you have to change your life for them. So with, with the caveat that we're, we're being as respectful as possible to your husband's story, How's the relationship going at this point? Because I'm imagining if he's like me, mm -hmm. you know, he's probably not slowed down. If anything, the progression of the disease has started to take over and we're just kind of drinking more and it's becoming more important in our lives. How's the relationship going? Right. Well, I, I honestly think this is where it did progress because um, he was gone a lot for work. And when he wasn't gone for work, he was with me in the house, sober person. So he was the only one drinking at home. And he could, he felt like guilty to go out to the bar and leave his pregnant wife at home. So it became this thing that he did alone. Mm. And then he'd be out in the world because he traveled a lot for work. And then, so he'd be in a hotel room alone in some random country drinking. Mm. No, so I really think that that's where it became a solitary, a solid thing he did alone instead of this social thing we had before. With, with your, especially with your upbringing, which is again, similar, sort of similar to Sherry's in that on your mom's side, Sherry, there wasn't drinking on your dad's right. side. There was just my dad, actually. Yeah. My just your dad. Parents, his siblings, none of them drank. But with you growing up with, with seeing the, the beer being shared at Thanksgiving kind of thing and, and not excesses otherwise, did that stand out for you when it went from social? Because I, where I grew up, my dad drank alone every single night. And mm -hmm. so I thought that was normal. Yeah, a couple did, after work. Did that start to stand out for you? I mean, it's, it's, it's such an interesting way you describe it that he, you know, he, he didn't want to go to the bars and leave you alone. So in a way I, I'm just envisioning in my mind, it would be like, oh, well, I'm doing the right thing. I'm being a good man, a good husband, a good father. I'm staying right. home, but I'm not gonna stop drinking just because I'm doing that. But right. did that start to send off alarm bells for you that, oh, this solitary thing as opposed to the social thing, this doesn't yeah. look the same. No, I didn't know, you know, when, when you grow up in a house like mine and you don't see it, you don't know what you don't know, mm -hmm. right? So. I wouldn't know that that was harmful or abnormal. The only harm I saw it at that point is our bank account. Mm. But, you know, because I'm not participating, it became his spending. Mm. Um, so yeah. that was where it started to be like, mm, this is a problem because we can't pay our bills. Mm. And it was no longer shared, so it became his problem. Sure sounds like the start of of the resentment that gets associated that is associated with this you know unavoidable resentment it sounds like yeah. is that kind of the beginning point well, and, yeah and and then you know when it when it did become a problem that being the beginning of it 
when, when you're pregnant and you're in a relationship and you're like, okay, obviously I'm going to give this up for the future of our family. And then you turn to your husband and go, so obviously you're going to give this up because for the future of our family, because obviously we can't do this anymore. Like that, that resentment is huge. Like I literally sacrificed years, my body, my complete being, and I'm asking you to stop drinking, Mm -hmm. you know, like that, because that seems so unequal, that creates, that is really the root of my, or was the root of my resentment. Sure. That makes perfect sense. It was the, was the initial ask to stop or to cut down? Cut, like cut what? down, like have a budget. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And, because and again, maybe, it wasn't, it wasn't emotional at that point. It was financial. Sure. Sure. Um, so, so where, so it continues the, the, the resentment, the, the negativity, it, it just festers, right? It, it yeah. continues, the, the financial continues. When does it become, when does it start to impact not just the, the smart thinking side of the relationship, but the, the communication isn't good, you know, we're not on the same page, I look at you and I don't have the feelings for you I used to, does, that starts to come in at some point, yes? Um, gosh, it's so hard. It's so hard to look back on it and pinpoint exact moments where those kinds of shifts happen because it's such a, it piles on so slowly. Mm -hmm. Um, it became another, it became more of like uh, resentment of shared work. So like the, when you're exhausted, I've had this baby and now the baby doesn't sleep at night and I'm the only one that wakes up with the baby at night. Right. And I'm the only one taking care of the house. And there's this, this image that you've bought into that the man goes to work and then comes home and drinks and sit in front of the TV because he's worked so hard all day. Right. But I'm sitting here barely alive from from doing this other part and and that so the absence of help the absence of being the absence is where the, that part resentment grew and I don't think I equated it to the drinking until I started finding bottles hidden mm. it was just I felt like I had a lazy husband okay mm. You know, okay. he just he just didn't get it he what needed to grow up like that that's where my mind went it didn't go to the alcohol right away mm-hmm. for many years and so when you said you found empty bottles was he like stashing them somewhere and not just putting them in the recycling or you just weren't paying it i mean no, he was stacking so like so, because we had these budgets and agreements Mm-hmm. Um, if he went outside of that, he would hide it. So yeah. he put charges on, on different credit cards or, um, I would find like what I was looking for the remote one day and I pulled back the couch and there it was littered with tiny, like vodka bottles and beer cap tops. So he'd just throw them behind them and hide them. 
And, and that's like, that was my first, like, holy crap, what is going on? Yeah. You know, and the first, <laughs> the first thing you want to do is, you know, ask that exact question to their face. Holy crap, what is going on? And, and that's where the next chapter started. Um, before we get into that, the, what you described as the man comes home, he's worked hard, he's sitting on the couch watching TV, and you're left to, to hold everything else together. We, we had a conversation with someone earlier this week about, you know, the, the term to toxic masculinity is, is fairly, like, that's a thing that's out there. Everyone kind of knows what that means. But the, the, the twist on it that this person put when conversing with us was, you know, there's the opposite side of that is the toxic femininity, which is reverting into those, um, you know, kind of 50s style gender roles. And, um, you know, the, it, it not, not that it's your fault, but not, not that it's your fault at all. But when one of you is going out of the house and working and then coming home and watching TV and drinking. And the other one is doing the house, the work in the house and then continuing to work when you're home watching TV. Um, the, like the fact that they ever pulled that off on leave it to beaver. Mm -hmm. I don't, I don't get because uh, you know, it's just not a good way to go through a relationship. Um, the, the pressure that that puts. And I, I don't think that the, my side of the street would ever even notice that pressure. Um, but the pressure that it puts on, on you guys, the ones that are in that kind of toxic, forced into the toxic femininity role is real and it's, it's awful. Yeah. I mean, do you, yeah. is that how, is that how you felt, Sherry, when I would a zone bit, out? I, a little bit, like you, I don't know, just because we had different, a different career path through some of our children and you were pretty hands-on dad, but definitely when you started drinking on like a weekend like Sunday was your shutdown day and you don't you still don't even like it when I do chores and stuff on Sunday but um like that would be a big source of aggravation is your like concept of like it's the weekend just relax I'm like well there's still laundry that needs to be done that doesn't quit and dishes that need to be done and right. meals that need to be prepped and you're home you can watch the kids and I can go to the store even though it's the weekend and it's busier so there was a lot of that you know, kind of that pressure that I felt from you to relax. And I, in the back of my head was, God, dumbass, do you not see the pile of laundry? Like, well, you know, do I, you not see all the stuff that's around? And we had like Friday nights, like you would pass out in the chair. We would try to watch a movie after the kids went to bed when they were little. And I would sit and fold laundry. I mean, like, you know, a it, week's worth it of has been, laundry. Did you know, Jane, that most movies are like two hours long? It has been amazing to me in sobriety <laughs> these last three and a half years. I thought movies were 10 minutes long. Yeah. It's been so cool. Because by see. the time we got the kids to bed, you were well into your almost pass out mode. Yeah. But that, I mean, there is a point that I would cross when drinking mm -hmm. where it didn't matter how much laundry I could see. It could be the laundry could be <laughs> in my lap. But you thought it was okay to put it well, it, it wasn't you even acted like oh, you'll do it on Monday, but it wasn't yeah. even a lot of times it wasn't even thinking it was just like, I, you know, my blood alcohol content got to a point where it doesn't matter. Like it does, you could, you know, the, the most obvious thing could be right in front of my face and I wouldn't be able to see it because I am melted away into this mind numbing zone. Um, again, not making excuses. I, I can see where it would be 
tremendously frustrating to to deal with. Like Jane said. Especially when you've tried to grow up and be the mature one. It's the small things that just pile up and you don't know. And it's those comments like every weekend that would pile up. Like the biggest, the biggest offense to me is if you, if I asked you to do something and, and he would say, well, it's my day off. Well, Hey, when When the crap is my day off? Yeah. Literally cannot have a day off. And you know, the, this, and I've talked to other moms in this situation and it's like, them holding, he would hold my, my kid for two hours while he sat on the couch and I would have to leave my house for a mental break. And that was like the scrap that I was like, this is awesome. And when I look at it now, like that, that's insane. Yeah. <laughs> like I was like, oh, it's me time. I have to leave my house and find something else to do to relax and have someone take care of me. Yeah. You know, and so yeah. that like, oh, my, I would, I work this, this time these days and then I come home and it's my day off. And just like that, you, as a self-proclaimed feminist, you want to fight that, right? But there's this problem. If no one else does it, we got to do it. It has to be done. And so as much as we hate that and we fight that, that system, shit still has to happen. Yeah. It still has, the kids still have to be taken care of. And because we want, we want uh, the best for them and we want our house to be under control. We just do it because we have to. Yeah, and the so anger. Then, then what happens is he thinks, oh, what's well, not that bad? Look at it. Everything's fine. Yeah, because I make it fine. Yeah. The, the anger is in and of itself isn't an outlet because you can get angry, but you still got still exactly. to get the stuff done on top of it. You, mm-hmm. you can't go sulk. Sulk and anger. I get that. But well, somebody I'm, is. But you can't have two people doing that. Right? Right. Absolutely. Yeah. When, when we would come off of particularly uh, nasty moments, I drank too much, it was the weekend, or it wasn't the weekend, whatever, I would drink too much, we would fight. My, my uh, healing process always involved a lot of sulking. Like I would get the bare minimum done work-wise that I had to. Anything that was a project that I was working on for the future, forget about it. The stuff that I had to do today, I would do, and then the rest of it, would just get pushed aside and I you know and Sherry you were the opposite you would get more done it seemed like when we were in a bad spot mm-hmm. just kind of working not alone working yeah working, yeah just kind of working out that anger and frustration mm-hmm. and keeping busy to like not just so was that yeah, yeah was it was it <laughs> was it part coping mechanism for you Jane? Oh, you- oh absolutely but yeah. also like oh put that down we can do that tomorrow well you're not here tomorrow and that all builds onto me. So what we don't take care of today or I don't take care of today is now my tomorrow on top of on top of your already tomorrow. What tomorrow so. is. Yeah. Yeah. So it's kind of like to them, like just ignore your inbox for a day. It'll be fine. Yeah. You know, it's just the the inbox monkey will take care of it for you. Yeah. Don't worry about it. Yeah. You know, and it's really when you're in that situation where it, your relationship is chaotic 
small things in your home being in order mean everything. Yeah. That, that is your sanity. Mm-hmm. And so you pour into it because you're like, I'm pouring into my sanity while yeah. you're acting insane. <laughs> so give us a little more on that. Is it, because <clears throat> that happened in this household too. But I, I think it's, I think there's two side. I think there's two pieces to it. Is the keeping everything in order, is that for a show for the outside world? Is that part of hiding the disease and not letting anyone, anyone see there's something wrong at your house? Mm-hmm. Or is it purely for your own internal, I needed to have something to do? Or is it both? Um, I think both those behaviors existed in my coping. I don't think the cleaning for me was for the outside world um, because no one came over. Okay. So it was more like my life is a mess. So at least when I walk in my door, it's not a mess. Okay. Some place is safe and not a mess. Um, yeah. And I have control and I can fix these things. So I'm going to apply myself here. And so because I felt so out of control in my relationship, that that motivation to, to just control and fix is on hyper. Like, I, I'm going to teach myself to fix everything. I'm going to, you know, paint walls. I'm going to make the world that I can control beautiful. Yeah. But it's like times a hundred. Yeah. And, and not, you know, not to dwell on something we talked about earlier, but this is, I mean, this is classic you know, I hate the word, I hate to label it, but this is what codependence is. This is, uh, you know, I can't control these things, so I'm going to control the hell out of these things. Mm-hmm. And in, in, in your research and in the communication that you've had with others, you, this is typical behavior, yes? Yeah. And then, like, so the outward-facing stuff for my codependency, and I guess that's, like, one thing Al-Anon does teach you a lot is how to figure out where you're being codependent, and, like, you have to call those things out. So, like, one story is, that it's really a, the picture of what codependency was for outward-facing is, like, I made or I participated in this image that he was, like, hands-on dad, awesome person yeah yeah so like for example and this is where that sensitivity lies in but i think this is you know relatable it's like so our daughter got a bike for i think like her fourth birthday and i have this picture of him standing next to her with the bike and the helmet like here we go like new phase in life ready And I'm not in that picture, right? That's the picture that's shared. But I'm the one who spent the next year teaching her how to ride that bike. Wow. So, so when I look back at that now, I see that that's my codependence. You know, I want so bad to be married to a man who pours into his children the way I pour into our children. Right. And so I'm willing to play along with that image. Yeah. And I know I'm not alone in that. No, no. That is, that's powerful. There, there's a writer named Laura McCowan 
and she's got a book now. It's really good. I recommend it called We Are the Luckiest, but she started as a blogger and one of her most read ever blog posts and her blog posts get read a lot. It's called Pictured Not Pictured. And it's about the things that we post and we share with the world and how they have nothing to do with reality. Mm -hmm. And that's what you made me think of when you, when you said, you know, here's the picture of dad and daughter with the bike. Now I'm going to teach her how to ride for the next year. Yeah. Or there's just, a you lot, know, pictures of them pictures. participating. But it's the sad part that hurts is like the, the parts that are captured with pictures. That's when they participated. Mm -hmm. You know, like there had to be proof. Yeah. Yeah, you're, that's exactly what it is. That's exactly what it is. We talk about how alcoholism is a family disease and the denial and the lies are, that's a product of the family too. Certainly, we as the drinkers are doing most of the, the gaslighting and the denials and the, oh, I'll only have two, but then really I'm going to have six. I mean, so most of that comes from us, but certainly the whole family unit does a fair bit of, let's let's show the world a picture that's different than reality to protect, to protect us, to protect everybody involved. And yeah. so did you, so, so that we stay on your story, Jane, mm -hmm. did you at this point have any feelings like I know Sherry had, like, how did I get myself into this? Am, am I really this stupid? Was there any self-loathing for how did I let it get like this? Were you beating yourself up at all? Um, not at that point. Um, in the last couple of years, yeah, like we'll get to that point. But no, at, at that point, it was more of a, when you got two young kids in your house, you don't have time to process that kind of feeling. Yeah. It's just, that is that, okay, I'm over it because this has to happen. Yeah. Um, <laughs> those years are my favorite years with my children, and I only have some snapshots of my marriage in those years yeah yeah most of them that stuck aren't good yeah, yeah. you know but yeah. I know I know there's good in there but it, there's that thing where you have to do like 10 good things to make up for one bad thing right like, it's just not what sticks. And it's sad because I, I know there is memories like that, but they just got pushed out. Well, th there is that, but I I'm not sure. I'm not sure it's all bad that this, that the bad memories stick because part of the process of healing, the resentment has to build to the point where you're willing to say, okay, something's got to change. And those, those sporadic bad memories that won't relinquish them, their grip on your brain are, are your own ability to build the resentment to the point where you'll do something about it. And I mean, it's, it's sad and it's painful, but I'm not sure it's not necessary. Can, can we, you, you mentioned earlier, you know, then there's the next chapter. Can we move mm -hmm. into the next chapter? Mm. What, what can you like make take the turn with us tell us tell us what happened next so uh, about two years ago we moved cross-country for his work and before we moved it was it was becoming more of a problem 
And in my codependency, I thought it was just he needed a change of scenery. He needed a new job. He needed to get out of whatever was depressing him. So I was all for, yeah, let's do it. Like I will make everything else adapt to this new adventure. And, and I did, right? So here we are, two day drive from my whole support system. Right. My family, everyone we know, starting this new life with this new job in this new place. And it just got worse. Hmm. It got so much worse. Um, I mean, I don't even know where to start. It just, it got to the point where I think all that anger and resentment did move. Like I moved my entire life to help you and you're, you're making it worse. Um, and, and you're anticipating it getting better. That was part of yeah. the deal. And so when because, it goes the opposite that's direction. What, when you don't want to blame the alcohol, you blame everything else. That's and so exactly we collectively right. decided that it was his job, right? Yep. But it wasn't, you know, it wasn't. And so I started trying to control it. And he just got better at hiding it, except he never went to the bars to drink. He always brought it. He didn't bring the alcohol home because I said, I, you know, I took a stand and I said, there will be no more drinking in this house. Right. Okay. Great. See how he drank outside the door and came in. Yeah. Right. So like everything i did to try to protect myself in my thinking that i can control this part he just found a way around when, um, and i think that that's where you know it's it's duh this is the alcohol now when when you're taking a stand like no more drinking in the house when you're talking about it mm -hmm. is it still is the conversation around finances still or yeah. are we reaching the point where you're saying look there's a problem here and then yeah. how because how you know it, it? this is like dumb but this is what brought it to be so obvious in our old house he had like a man cave mm -hmm. and so he did his drinking down there well when we moved to this new house there was really only one shared living space and so there was no way for him to go be drunk except our living room right in front of our children passing out on the couch yeah and so that made it like okay i can no longer ignore this it's literally right in front of my face right and it's in front of our, our children's face which is the part a whole nother podcast <laughs> yeah yeah how old are the kids um, like, when nine, well, eight and five. This was in the last two years. This is it. Really got worse. So this is a part that of our story that I was oblivious to, but Sherry was tuned into, and it sounds like you are as well. I had no idea how intuitive kids are, mm -hmm. even at young ages, and how much they're picking up, and how much they might not know exactly what's going on. They might not, like my kids might not have been mad at me, but they were uncomfortable around me and mm -hmm. how that breaks my heart now looking back that I made my kids uncomfortable. 
you know, they might not have been afraid of me, but they weren't going to approach me either. And, right. and that's, that sounds subtle, but it's crushing. And it's so, it's, it's just such a bad position to put little ones well, in. I think, I think we, we as the party, I don't even know what to call myself because I hate codependent. Me too. <laughs> the loved one of the alcoholic. We the as the wife... We think we're protecting our kids by keeping it away, but it changes us. And so they feel our energy as the mother, whether we're trying to hide it or not. I can't hide the energy of devastation from my children as much as I try to flower it up like i i am i am this person 85 percent of the time with them and they can tell when it's not that person yeah they just know so they may not know the details but they know something happened with mommy and daddy and now mommy's different yeah and we know it's daddy's fault Mm -hmm. you know so that i think that just adds to the uncomfortable feeling of well daddy makes mommy feel that way yeah yeah that's that's exactly i mean that description is exactly how it happened around here and then then we have this like twisted thing in our brain where we're like well i don't want my child to feel this way about their father so we're trying to do all you guys are doing mental gymnastics over there and we're doing mental gymnastics trying to like manage everyone else's experience right right so I know we want to stick to your story, but there's got to be a turning point for your husband too. Does, does he start to recognize, Oh, this is a, you know, this is getting out of my control. This is, this is a problem for me. Or, or is it still just, I worked five days. So this is my day off. Um, so he's been soberish now for like six months. And, and now when we talk, I know that, I know now that he knew it was a problem, but he fronted as if it was not. Um, So he, he knew, but he was still convincing himself. I'm just crazy and it's fine. He can control it. Like he was in that, that space. It, we went to therapy. We tried books. um, It, we spent a good year approaching it as if it were our problem. And I think it just got to the point where enough people told us that it wasn't our problem. Like something had to be addressed before we could work on us. Like when you say our problem, like we've got a marital problem, like we need to go see a standard marital counselor to right. work on miscommunication in our, oh, maybe it's because we had kids and that drives us apart right. or, or maybe, you know, the mm-hmm. mortgage is bigger in this house than the other one. So maybe it's finances. So you're looking for all those things. What, no, I know. knew the whole time it was the alcohol. Yeah. I just kept in my codependency, kept trying to find a new way to convince him. I knew it. Sure. But it was like, who do I need to find who he won't dismantle in some way as stupid to tell him that this is a problem? Like what resource? 
what podcast, three different therapists, friends, family, like somebody please get through to this man. Yeah. And I found all those things and all of them failed. Well, you know, I, I, not speaking for your husband, but speaking for myself, I know that when you are subconsciously protecting this thing, when you are subconsciously trying not to let the alcohol exit your life because you're just not there yet, you're not ready. Oh, you can find lots of things to blame for -hmm. the problems in the relationship because as long as it's not alcohol, because if it's alcohol, there's only one answer. So I've got to find, it's got to be that, that you're just a little bit of a bitch, Sherry. And you know, that's how you were raised or whatever, or you, you know, you were always spunky. That was one of the things I used to tell you that was attractive about you to me when we first met that you didn't take crap from people. Um, but then I would turn that on you later and say, Oh, you know, your, your spunkiness turned into you're a bitch. And that's the reason we can't get along in our relationship. Um, or it would be stress from work or it would be, you know, the kids diet. are getting older or, or yeah, diet. Right. You that was always a good one. Thing. We aren't eating right. So eating. that's gotta be the problem. <laughs> but but the fact that you say that that you knew all along, I think, Sherry, you knew all along as well, that it was the alcohol. One of the biggest kind of aha moments of my life was when I was past a year of sobriety and I realized I'm not holding back on saying nasty things to my wife anymore. I'm not holding back on these thoughts that, that she's a bitch. I don't even have those thoughts anymore. They, they're mm-hmm. gone. And I realized, oh, you know, it wasn't like, I did a good job of suppressing these feelings and the alcohol made them come out like a truth serum. It was more like those feelings don't really exist in the true me. The alcohol created them and made them come out. The alcohol was fully responsible. So I was able to pin all the blame on the alcohol. Mm-hmm. Sherry has come around to that. It took some time for Sherry to, to fully blame the alcohol. Where are you on that? Are, are you, Jane, are you, do you feel like your husband's inside there somewhere? And this is 100% the alcohol. And if we can get past it, and we get past it long term, you can have your husband back. Mm-hmm. I think that kind of certainty has been beaten out of me. It's more like, I hope it's the alcohol at this point. I have a hunch that it is, and I hope it is, but I've also... There, I think, you know, all of us have these demons we fight and, and there's some, there's some deep pain and stuff that it, it needs to be dealt with that creates reactions to any kind of threat, a certain, it, there's just an ingrained reaction. So like, I feel like, yes, this has thrown gasoline on that. And it has become the problem and the solution. But there is also some stuff that needs that needs to be dealt with that's just always been hidden. Right. And that's true, like, for all of us. So when you live with someone for 10 years, and they've been dealing with all of their problems with alcohol, you really have no idea what baseline is. Right. So I'm not like saying I don't know who he is, but I really honestly have never known who he is sober. Sure. 
right? And so I see glimpses of what I, I feel like he is and I know he is, but I know enough right now to know I don't know what that, that baseline is, right? So these are fluctuations of emotional states that I've been living through for 10 years who, who knows what normal is? And we're not even going back to normal baseline before alcohol. It's like this new being That's right. that has to be birthed. You know, just like I am not the same person I was when we got married. Absolutely not. I have some of the similar traits. But like pain, pain forces you either inward or outward. And so you grow because you have to. Right. So I've taken on, on new behaviors and so is he. So I think it's just something that we like, I hate that one day at a time statement just because it's annoying when you're in pain, but that that's totally what it is. Like, I don't even know really who we are anymore. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's why I, I really hate, I think Sherry rejects it as well. That the term recovery is just such a bad term for this. I use it all the time because people know what I'm talking about if I say recovery, but we're not going back to this thing that was before. Like if we came from A and we are now at B, we're going to C. We'll never be able to get back to A, nor would we want to. There wasn't, I mean, I think for a lot of our relationships, we didn't know who we were ourselves and who the other person was because there was always drinking involved. So I don't want to recover back to the beginning part of our relationship because it was a mess too with alcohol. Well, and we also get yeah. married when we're like young and really don't know who you are anyway, because you're not yeah. in that part of your life. Yeah. So you have to kind of just, I guess, uh, go all the way back to like your true sense of self when you were in early elementary school and then like build up that person from the beginning. That's what I kind of envision recovery to be before, all, before life beats you down. Jane, you shared that your husband is sober-ish now. Yeah. Has there been disappointment for, for us? It was huge when I got sober because I was like, oh, that, that fixes everything. And then it didn't. And Sherry wasn't surprised by that. Right. Right. You knew that there was festering well, stuff under. Yeah. Because I mean, as a sober party, you know that alcohol isn't going to cure everything because you know, all the pain that you have and all the disappointment and the disgust that's in you, that it's just not going to take you to quit drinking because there's just a lot of mm -hmm. resentment and all these feelings and the, the destruction that it takes on your marriage. So you have to, you have to fix those issues. I mean, communication, it's plain and simple, basic. How do you communicate with someone who's drunk and how do you communicate with someone who you've been dealing with as a drunk, you know, and now doing it in a sober stance. So, so, so Sherry knew there was a lot of work to do in sobriety. It sounds like you did, Jane. I did not. I thought the alcohol just, I, I still believe the alcohol caused all the problems, but I also thought stopping the alcohol would fix them. And it just doesn't work that way. It, has, it, has it been a surprise in your relationship? Has it been a surprise to your husband that just quitting drinking doesn't solve all the problems? Is, and, and is that causing more problems? The fact that there's this awareness gap Mm, yes, yes, and yes. Um, I like, like Sherry, I'm not surprised because, like, you've been ignoring what's underneath all this for this long, 
boom, here it is. Uh, he, he, yeah, he's like, I think that like, he told, he would totally relate to you. Like he thought, well, it's, it's over now. You can, you can be my cheerleader now. Yes. You can love me again. You can be my wife again. <laughs> like, and, and it's almost like you just don't get out of the we thinking. Like, we have not been okay. We are not okay. So, like, it just... It, so much attention gets put on the alcohol and the illness and the chaos that when it's not there, what is hidden underneath it becomes so blatant like it's just uh, we don't like anything the same Mm -hmm. we have a hard time talking to each other without bickering little questions cause defense like it is it is volatile and that's just like a normal day yeah right so it's totally eggshells because and especially as the person married to the alcoholic, you're in this weird place of like, I need to be able to talk about what's here, but I also don't want to trigger him and start the whole thing over. Yeah. So it's like forced silence, which then puts more resentment. Go, you get to get better. Awesome. Good for you. Like you get to ignore all the destruction. Well, so that's a very, very good point and brings me to the next thing I want to ask you. I I thought all along that apologizing was the key. I apologized the morning after many times, not always, when I overdid it and caused arguments. Sometimes the morning after I still thought it was Sherry's fault, but often I apologized and in sobriety, I would even be more than willing to offer blanket apologies like, yeah, yeah, I know, I, you know, I caused us problems, I'm sorry, but let's move forward. The, the piece of it that I missed, Jane, I, and I missed it because I didn't understand. I didn't understand this till really recently, actually. It wasn't about, for Sherry, the apology so much as it was about acknowledgement of what actually happened. Mm-hmm. She needed me to know that on, you know, sometimes it was specific, sometimes it was general, but on this specific night, this is what you did. And don't just nod and go, oh yeah, sorry. Like, no, like this is what you did. And this is how it, it woke up one of our kids at two o'clock in the morning and it kept me up all night. And you relentlessly were fixated on the fact that you were right when you were just speaking nonsense. And she needed me to kind of be in the moment with her so that I could carry some of that pain too, that she wouldn't have to carry it alone. I firmly believe that that is a necessary part of the healing process from the resentments. Yeah. I, I just want you to react to that. Do, do, you, do you feel um, that? Where are you? Uh, I, don't want, I don't want apologies. In one year, out the other. Um, I also think there's a point when that's okay and safe to share those things. And in when you push it, when your loved one is not in a place of healing, 
-hmm. it it's on deaf ears mm -hmm. right so like i do wanna i i do need to work through all that stuff with him that it, i can't most of the time yeah like just not it's not a safe place to do that because he's still so reactionary that then those vulnerable details are used in anger in defense. Yeah. Right. So like it, it is this, this part of being this side of the relationship is this horrible silent waiting game of when you get to be heard by your partner. I mean, that's it, and not trigger them back into cycle and not um, and that and that's kind of like what what it feels like the message is in a lot of the recovery groups is like you come here with that stuff, you know, and we bury it here. That, that might <laughs> offer some some consolation and empathy, but it doesn't fix anything, does it? Yeah, because I feel like I would have walked back into the no. house after coming from that sort of meeting and then just be flooded again with the feelings of like, oh, I remember what took place in this room or, you know, this happened. And so mm -hmm. I don't know if I could have ever, I could ever just have buried it with someone else and it wouldn't have had to have been him because I really felt like for me, I needed to give him um the full details and share and carry that burden and that pain and that memory in his very sober mind like because this was after even a year yeah and you can spend therapy. years telling therapists and friends that stuff but it's not gonna matter until it hears no it registers with the brain that did it is where right. it kind of like right. has to go right to the right to that person's brain and they have to be in that part of their healing and be able to take on that and to recognize. Right. Cause right away in, in, um, through treatment and being sober for him, I don't know if the message comes from the group season, but there is this resounding need message to bury it and move on. Mm. Um, and I'm not sure if that message is intended for the alcoholics so they can do day by day, I'm not sure where that comes from, but there's this push towards me. And I've heard it from other women too, of when are you going to get over it? When are we going to move on? Um, without, <laughs> without addressing the carnage, right? Just, oh, well, it's over now. So stop being angry. I, I think, I'll tell you where I think that comes from. The process of not drinking anymore is very much about move as fast as you can in the forward direction mm -hmm. because you've got to heal the neurotransmitters. You've got to reprogram the subconscious mind and everything that's going forward is helpful with that. But the process of recovery from alcoholism, long-term sobriety is very, very different from recovering your relationship. Mm -hmm. And so I think when we take what works for us to get sober because i did the exact same thing and then we carry that into the relationship and say but that was before and i'm different now let's wait a minute why i don't want to talk about before let's talk about how i'm different now the i'm different now and i'm moving this way that's important for sobriety but it's not helpful for fixing the marriage and that jane is i believe why 
you know, I don't, we don't have firm statistics. We've looked for them. I think more people struggle and more relationships die in recovery than they do in active addiction Yeah, because you're being pulled in two different directions and you've got to figure out how to do that or, or the relationship doesn't have a chance. You've got to be able to look backwards. You've got to be able to sit in that and, and be a part of that. And it's not fun or, you know, but it's necessary. It's 100% necessary. And I think, I don't think that message comes across very often, but it is, it's, it's a huge part of it. Jane, tell us um, part of the the early sobriety period for Sherry was that she she had to keep her defenses in place. She had to keep her guard up because she had heard it too many times from me that I'm going to quit, only to see me relapse and go back to it. Mm-hmm. How does that play in for you? Are you still pretty protective when it comes to your trust that this, that he's really going to make it in long-term sobriety? Yeah. Like very, uh, I've got some solid walls mortared with resentment. Like just, I mean, I'm at the prove it stage. Sure. Um, and four days of you being on top of the world isn't convincing. Yeah. Um, and I think that that's part of the recovery process that, that doesn't get talked about is because the emotional state, at least with my alcoholic, and I've read a lot because I'm codependent. <laughs> you push, you push, you push because you want to be this person, the alcoholic. But then you're like, it's not making the changes I want to see right now. So what's, what's the point <clears throat> down to the bottom and you have three days in the dumpster and then everyone is uh, disappointed and you go, crap, push, push, push four days of awesome. And then again, emotional exhaustion because you're, you're pushing to, to someplace that's not a baseline that you're trying right. to be what you, you're trying to be what you've not been you're trying to make up all this time and energy and love and space and then you just fall apart because you're acting you're trying to be something that's not possible yeah you know and then we get brought on this roller coaster of like oh he's back no he's not yeah oh he's gonna make it no he's not And so like the wall of the protection comes up in that, like, you have to watch that, like it's a show. Yeah. And, and I, and I have done enough to, so I don't react everything, but when I don't react, there's a push for the old behavior, right? So I'm going to poke you and push you and, and make you react because that's what makes me feel safe in my chaos and so the my resistance to not even react to you is its own pain and it's this game of like who's going to actually be strong in their recovery like it's exhausting it is 
that's so well described the I'm going to muscle through for four days and then I'm going to crash. And a big piece of that, Jane, is because we're just not used to dealing with emotions. Because what did we do for however many years? 20 plus in my case. Mm -hmm. I, well, emotions, that's easy. I'll just drink and that'll make those go away. And so when we're faced with, oh no, nothing can make it go away. You got to deal with it. That's when the, uh, the crash happens and potentially the relapse happens. Mm -hmm. And like you said, you're, you're stuck just watching watching what it all happen like you gotta be kidding me mm -hmm. but it's like interactive like i can't just watch it it's trying to suck me in yeah yeah jane before we go is there is there any message that you want to deliver i don't want to put you on the spot but <laughs> but here we are but yeah I, I, on said it. yeah i don't put you on the spot but get ready but no i mean i think you said at the beginning so maybe we just reinforce it you know it's it's one thing to hear from people from a clinical side of it here's what you need to do okay mm -hmm. great thanks some of that advice is helpful mm -hmm. and then it's another thing to hear from people that that have made it one way or the other either they've dissolved the relationship or or the relationship has gotten better mm -hmm. And, and they're through it and oh, here's what you need to do. Okay, great. Some of that's helpful too. But, you know, I just think it's ridiculously important for people who are in it to hear from other people who are in it. Yeah. And, and you, are, you are a remarkably eloquent, um, believable, determined spokesman for the people who are in it. And we're just honored that that you've taken this time to talk with us. Um, how does it make you feel to share this openly? I guess that's the question. Mm. <laughs> well, there's been several moments where I thought I was gonna throw up before this. Um, like in anticipation of this conversation? <laughs> yeah, and like, who do I know anyone who listens to this who's gonna know and like right, just right. that kind of but you know I like I've here's my conviction in the last two years when I was literally grasping for air like gasping for air I I went to those rooms and I went to my friends and I and I didn't find someone who sounded like me and I, I needed that so bad. I literally asked all the people in Al-Anon, wrote them, what is a memoir or a book or someone who is a young mother dealing with this? Mm -hmm. And there was no one who was like, you need to do this. You need. So I had to like, I had to look so hard for resources that I could relate to and people I could relate to. And it was so frustrating and time-consuming and I just felt like I'm supposed to be silent right now and that was like the message like even even to go to Al-Anon when you have two young babies there's no daycare and it's at 7 30 8 o'clock at night <laughs> yeah so it just seems so impossible and so like I feel convicted in that I need to be and participate in places and resources that could have helped me in that space. 
Um, and, and if that means I have to step out and like feel a little embarrassed and scared, well, I wish someone did that for me, you know, cause we're all, we're all suffering in silence. Yeah. Why? Like, like that's the part that makes me salty. Like the experience in the alcoholism is enough to drive you crazy, but like, why is this, this thing that we all have to deal with separately in silence? Like why? Because a ton of people enjoy. That's just your problem over there. I, that's just, it's so frustrating when you're in it. Well, and n not only by you talking about this and by more people talking about this, are you helping the people that are in it? But I'd like to see someday the pendulum swing so far that we actually try to think a little bit, little tiny bit at least about prevention. Yeah. How, how can we tell this story to the, instead of to the young mother, let's tell the story to the 17 year old in a way that they might actually listen. I know 17 year olds, they're pretty determined and they're on their path, but, but how, can we, how can we make this message so mainstream instead of you know, unspoken in the shadows so that we can keep this from continuing to happen? Because it's just, yeah. again, it's so common. It's, it's way, way, way too common. Well, and part of, part of the frustrating thing I think we and you run into is that the people who are looking for this information are listening aren't the people who need convincing, right? Yeah. But we can be a catalyst to figure out how to get to the people who aren't listening. Well, well listen, Jane, I have to tell you, for a long time into my recovery, I about halfway bought that that all of the destruction was on my side of the street. Mm -hmm. I thought there was still some of that lingering, oh yeah, but you are kind of stubborn and you are kind of hard to deal with. It wasn't until I heard many, 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 many voices saying the same thing that I went, oh, no, this is 100% the alcohol. Th mm -hmm. This isn't, there isn't some shared responsibility here. And so I think that's why the message is so important. How do we get it to the other side of the street? How do we get it to the alcoholics like me? How do we get them to believe? You know, the only thing I can think of is repetition and bringing it out in the open. And, you know, there, I think another piece that's frustrating is if it's, you know, you can have this belief that, oh, that's just a bunch of bitchy women that are complaining about their lot in life. No, this has to become mainstream. There has to be enough people on both sides of the street to understand that this is reality so that the rest of the male population honestly will realize that it's reality. I don't know if that's making any sense. But talking more yeah. as opposed to less is definitely the answer. Well, I think that's how, how we just process things that don't affect us directly. Yeah. Right? If it's not in front of my face, then it's not a problem. Like that's a societal thing. You know? So then you start putting videos on the news well, that's a problem. Yeah. That's a problem now because I can see, obviously, it's a problem. But we just keep this thing hidden. Well, I, I think, you know, you are a, a, a born spokesperson for this, this movement, this sober evolution, as Sherry and I like to call it. And we just beg you to keep talking in whatever form and fashion you can find. Keep giving reviews to, um, you know, resort treatment centers, please. Yeah. 
Yeah, you're the best, Jane. Thank you so much for coming on here. Um, be before we sign off, Sherry and I do just want to mention that if a conversation like this resonates and you think that there's there's healing surrounding having conversations like this, we hope you'll look into our Echoes of Recovery program for the loved ones of alcoholics to 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 find connection with each other and and find that healing that's so elusive. Find those messages that, as Jane said, are so hard to find out there. There's a million of them. We just gotta, we just gotta talk about it. So if you're interested, check out echoesofrecovery.com, E-C-H-O-E-S of recovery.com. Jane, thanks for being here. How do you, I know you said you, you were nearly nauseous a few times coming into the idea of this conversation. How do you feel now having had it? Mm, supported. Good. Later. Good. Those are it is nice to unburden yourself a bit. Yeah. Yeah. We'll see yeah. when you post it. <laughs> I, I hope it feels good for you. I guarantee you. I mean, I, I would bet everything I have on the fact that you are helping a ton of people, a ton of people. I'm, I sound like I'm bragging about our listenership. Yes. Okay. It's, it's growing though. It's definitely growing, it's growing, which should tell you something about this movement. There, there's a ton of people hurting out there. Yeah. Jane, thanks for being here. Can't wait to talk to you again soon. Thank Bye -bye. you. For our friend Jane, for my wife Sherry, I am Matt Dalis, and we thank you for listening to this episode of the Untoxicated Podcast. <laughs> <laughs>